Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. James Bond is coming back to the big screen in cinemas in the UK and we're hoping to go to every one of the 25 films. Join us as we celebrate the 60th anniversary of our favourite British agents by watching them all in order. We hope you guys are watching them too, so please let us know your thoughts. You can find us on social media at Facebook, Twitter and Instagram and our podcast is available on iTunes and Spotify as well as video episodes on YouTube. Simply search for Really 007 Pod. Hot on the heels of the awesome success of Goldeneye, Pierce Brosnan was back, with a bang, in Tomorrow Never Dies. Part 2. You may have seen the general in the hallway just now, but perhaps with all your jetting around, you have not had chance to peruse today's headlines. I rather like the last one. It isn't even mine. I never believe what I read in the press anyway. Therein lies your problem, Mr. Bond. You see, we're both men of action, but your era and Miss Lynn's is passing. Words are the new weapons. Satellites, the new artillery. And you become the new supreme allied... commander? Exactly. Caesar had his legions, Napoleon had his armies. I have my divisions. TV, news, magazines. And by midnight tonight, I'll have reached and influenced more people than anyone in the history of this planet, save God himself. And the best he ever managed was the Sermon on the Mount. Mm, you really are quite insane. The distance between insanity and genius is measured only by success. Excuse me. General Chang is waiting. If you'll forgive me, your appearance here has forced me to move up my timetable slightly. I'll leave you in the capable hands of Mr. Stamper and his toys. Perhaps you'd like to see them. Sir, the helicopter. Thanks, Gupta. Mr. Stamper is a protégé of the late Dr. Kaufman, who was schooling him in the ancient art of chakra torture. He was like a father to me. Really? Interesting role model. 
According to Eastern philosophy, the body has seven chakra points. Energy centers like the heart or genitals. The purpose of these implements is to probe those organs, inflicting the maximum amount of pain, whilst keeping the victim alive for as long as possible. Dr. Kaufman's record was 52 hours. I'm hoping to break it. I would have thought watching your TV shows was torture enough. Save this one till last. When you remove Mr. Bond's heart, there should just be enough time for him to watch it stop beating. So, we have just got out of seeing Tomorrow Never Dies at the Odeon Derby with the full foursome that is uh, uh, Chris Johnson, Kieran Rashad, and Bob Foster and me. The first thing to, no- to notice was that there was... Well, just a cut for some reason. Very, very slight. When uh, Jeffrey Palmer says, "What's your man doing?" and she says, "His job it was missing completely yeah. from the film," so it wasn't there at all. Apart from that, I mean, it's a belter. There's no doubt about it. The pre-title sequence is magnificent. Mm. It is. It um, is. And uh, even though you can tell it's not Brosnan for half, of yeah, it. there's a, there's a huge amount <laughs> yeah, of, uh, Wayne, of, of Wayne doing his thing, but it's brilliant. It's an absolutely brilliant nail-biting pre-title sequence. Yeah, it's lovely. It's 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 a great premise that he's got to get it out, and it's it's, it's right in the middle of it all, and he gradually gets out of it. And I love the I love those in those in, in between scenes where it goes back to London and then. Back to the ship, and then there's nothing, yeah, and then the, then yeah. the missiles going and again. You're following you know? the missile. Yeah, follow the missile. Like, it's very detract from the action. Whereas, like Inspector, where you've got him talking on the phone to Money Penny whilst he's driving the Aston Martin. <laughs> yeah, that yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. He slows it down and distracts from it. Yeah, yeah. But this, the dialogue scenes and the action just mix perfectly. Mm, it is together. very well edited. All of and that. the way that you see, like the where the rocket is tracking on the screens in the control room whilst uh-huh. they're talking, it all just makes mm. it seem very all happening all at the same time yeah. you can't fault it it is it's very very well done it's quite easy to forget as well it uh, jeffrey palmer and judy dench are reunited and i think it's rather charming actually yes it is yeah because that was well, what was it as time goes by wasn't it yeah. two, two series one the two separate ones on as time goes by and there was another one uh, yes they nice do play very well together and i think i don't know about you chaps but i think m evolves over the course of the franchise from golden eye up until down of the day and then obviously into Craig's tenure. I think this is her best interpretation of that character. It's my personal favourite anyway. Mm. I think she's the right level of warm but assertive. Um, and she's got the right level of quips and I just think she plays it superbly. Yeah, she does. Absolutely. She doesn't go anywhere else either. She's never in no, the office no, in no. this one. She's always in that in, particular in that, control that room. room. Or the back of a car. And also, car, yeah. it's a relatively short trip, I would assume, yes. from wherever they're going to back to MI6. And they've all got drinks in their hands. <laughs> Have you noticed that? And this is the point. They've all got drinks, but how the hell do they not spill them? Because oh, the way well. that car is being driven, seriously. It's like um, his first day on the job. That's, you know? So that's what baffles my mind. Brosland's definitely settled into the role. Even though he had at the end a golden eye, well, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I really... just think, and, and again, I, I I mentioned this to you earlier, but I have a feeling that Pierce and the rest of the cast are on different pages in the film. Pierce is playing it as though you know I, 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 he's he's obviously the Bond has obviously got some sort of backstory with Paris. Mm, yeah. Her her death 
is genuinely of concern to yeah. him. Mm. The whole meeting with her again and her uh, being sent by Carver. He said, I knew somebody was going to come. I didn't realise it was going to be you. And the whole thing where, you know, did I get too close and all that sort of stuff. And he plays it really, really well. Yeah. And little, lots of little stuff throughout the film where he's playing it really well. And you go... Okay, I'm really I'm getting into this now as as you are taking on the mantle of Bond. Everybody else around him, Jonathan Price is just awful. Mm. He's horrible in this picture as the character yeah. and yeah. everybody else is all these sort of comic book characters. That's what I yeah. assumed. It's mm. it's very very weird. It sounds like all the German accents are left over from oh, Alone. Yeah. Man, it's just yeah, I think I think Stamp is an awful character. Yes, I don't think he's terribly good either to be fair. Um, um, I know there was a lot of there was a lot of Gupta that was missing yes, because obviously yeah, he was a magician. Wasn't Ricky he? J- Ricky Jay was a yeah. magician, absolutely, and and that and it, whole it, it, they did film they did film a bit. I don't know where it was a bit. Just didn't use it. It was those. No. It was the um, the card throwing sequence. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. So he, that he was, was his special talent, using yeah. them as as uh, as she was using um, uh, throwing stars. You yes. know, so same sort of thing. To be fair, I, I think Brosnan played very well off. Uh, Michelle Yao. Yeah. I think they did play off each other very well, and the, the story between them evolved. Mm. Mm. You, you it was, it was very believable. Yeah. At the beginning, I, when obviously they don't want to work together yeah. because their countries are almost polarising opposites. But it's funny what you should say about Jonathan Price. I must be the only one who quite likes his interpretation of the role. I, I, I suppose it's not so much him. He's a great actor, but it's it's his motives, and that's what I think I love about this film generally. It's just it's just the fact it's not terribly far-fetched. It's not someone trying to take over the world or or do this or do that. It's not another Drax character. His plan is actually feasible, trying to start a war between two countries. Just, and just, think, to, just to improve his, his, his sales. Yeah, exactly. And I think and that's what I love about this film. It's, it's, it is a believable piece. Mm. Yeah, the, the, I mean, there was a number of he, the 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 Carver Media Network, right? The internet and all this sort of bits and pieces. And he's he wants newspapers, he wants films, mm. he wants television. You know, he, he's he's doing this extraordinary speedy typing to get all this stuff up, and everything's typesetting everything beautifully. It was very clever for 1997, uh, but similarly with um, 006 in the previous mm. film. You know, it's all it, the whole movie's about internet. Back in '95, well, it took you three weeks to download anything. <laughs> you know, and yet uh, uh, Boris is spiking people left, right, and centre. He knows exactly where they are. So yeah. that the, the whole thing, they, they, they take it that that willing suspension of disbelief to a certain point, and then give you a bit more to to go on. You know what I mean? But it's strange now, watching this film, what 25 years later, mm. how much of what was that little bit in the future has actually become real life. Yeah. Mm. Like you see about the technology. Yeah. Yeah, like the remote controls. Yeah. Like. Remote controls. The whole... I think they did you get gone, Chris. And what made me laugh was like you say about the technology, the way when he's looking for the decoder, there's um Gupta's briefcase full of floppy disks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. A bit. The and floppy disk. That was the business, wasn't it? Yeah. I think this and film's aged quite well. It's, yes, it, it still does. it stands. It, does. it certainly stands the test of time. I think all the characters are generally very, very good. Mm. Yeah. Shout out to Vincent Schiaffelli because I don't think oh, he's yeah, brilliant. I don't think, I don't think he gets enough credit. Absolutely, he's, brilliant. he is brilliant in that. Where we were, he, he, I mean, how many times we've seen it? I'm still laughing at his. Where, where everybody else, where everybody else is maybe you know trying to push the envelope too far. Yeah, he's. 
that character is the sort of character where that's okay. Yeah. yeah. You know? No, I, yeah, I do agree with uh, that. And I know that, obviously, there's, there's a number of people in there this evening who... Oh, we, I, well, I, I thought we were the only people that laughed at, um, you know, I could shoot you from Stuttgart and still mm. get the desired effect. Yeah. Because it's still a funny it line is, now. It is, and how it's, he delivers and it. And how he delivers it's it. It's potentially the best line in the film. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> he, he, has, he has got some throwaway lines, Bond, in this one, which I do adore. Uh, they like, do keep, get keep, lost a bit, though, don't they? Keep your shirt on. Keep your shirt on. still one of my favourites of his. Almost like keep your hair on in Fiora's only. Yeah. All of those, all of those, um, you know, audio-visual gags, station break. Well, nobody knows what a station break was. Commercial break, which is what he meant, uh, if it was a UK audience. And, uh, oh, I tuned out for a moment there. Well, and, you know, just a little... There are a couple of lines that maybe didn't land as well as maybe they should have done. I think with Brosnan as well, sometimes you do notice that that the fights are very well... are rehearsed. You can see it's rehearsed. Mm. He knows where the punches are coming from yeah. and how to react. Yeah. I mean, I, I do, I do like him as Bond. But I would say, at odd times, you can see through mm. how they've prepared things. They'll print anything these days. That's another. Good <laughs> that's yeah. yeah. Again, that's a very, very good, good moment. There's there's a number of great. Uh, and to, to be fair, without the second unit work. Right, oh. uh, the movie would be twenty-five minutes long. Let's be honest. Yeah, you know that Vic absolutely throws the yeah. kitchen sink at that picture. All of the yeah. stuff that pre-title well, sequence so, is all so here. He does in the next film as well. Well, exactly. <laughs> you know, but I mean that pre-title sequence, the motorbike chase is yeah. still fabulous. Yeah. It's all and wonderful. And so is the car chase. And the car I chase. Think he did the car very, part. very well with the car. Yeah, yeah really, I, really good. It, what what gets? What's always got me with that though is that you've got you've got them all standing round it in. It with sledgehammers and that, and yet as soon as Bond gets in it and there's a bullet, the, 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 the glass shatters. The glass shatters, yeah. Because <laughs> it needs to, because of that missile going. And the steering wheel's it. not going round anymore, well, and all that sort of it's stuff. It's that alarm. It, God, it's 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 the most high tech alarm. <laughs> yeah, to man. I, I think um, you, you do. He, do, he does. A Bond as a character is really enjoying himself in that backseat. Oh, he's loving it in there. He's throwing himself about. You can see yeah. It, yeah. It's, when, it's when the tyres reinflate. Yeah. That little smile. It's, yeah. it's, 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 he really is. And it's a terrific sequence. It's, and and that is. type of stuff absolutely suits Pierce down to the ground. Yeah, it does. It yeah. really, really does. I think it was great to see a car full of gadgets after all the promise of everything about yes. the BMW yeah. and Golden yeah, the Z3 Eye. Is just the, terrible. The Z3. And I like, again, the way that none of it was really mentioned about the gadgets in the car. Yes. So yeah, he yeah, just he said all the usual bits yeah. and pieces, didn't yeah. he? Yeah. Well, it's a surprise for the audience, and I think mm-hmm. it works wonders when they do it that way. Yeah. Have you have you ever seen that, the cut bit, that when that when, when the car's revealed, there's there's a cut, cut bit before, because I think the end of the, the box... It goes to the wrong box. And, and it opens up when yes. it says, that's a Jaguar. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's, <laughs> I don't, that's right. I don't, I, yeah. I don't know if anyone's ever seen it or not. Yeah, I I've think heard it is. about it, obviously. It's on the deleted scene. It's on the deleted scene. It's a brilliant scene actually you can um, see why they cut it potentially for pacing but, yeah. but also I think Hugh's scenes Hugh Desmond's acting in it is a lot better I seem to remember that Roger Spottiswood wouldn't let him have his cue cards so I think from what I remember it took a lot longer to film it but I think it, you, his interaction with Brosnan in it is brilliant yes. well, yeah. Pierce yeah. adored him though didn't he I yeah. Mean, yeah, they, yeah. They, they really did that was uh, one of his big highlights of, of spending any time on set was, was with Desmond yeah. they really did did get on very well indeed. The whole bit where he's going through like all the different types of insurance. Yeah, and he's looking at him in that red jacket. He just keeps looking him up yeah, and down yeah, in the jacket. So what yeah. are you wearing? You know, you <laughs> yeah. see. And he does the same thing with Jack Wade, yes, who, yes, for yes. the record, is a 
terrible character. Yeah. Uh, he, he has he, no business he, being he in it. He doesn't add anything. And Joe Don... Potentially golden eye. Can I ask a question here? Uh, oh, and bec- this, you know, all the actors in the world... Yeah, I know. And they have to keep casting people who've been in other bloody movies. What's yeah. wrong? Yeah, exactly, yeah. Joe Don Baker is he's a villain in a Bond movie. Yeah. And that is it. You know, you don't come yeah. back and be uh, be. But I did think he was better as Jack Wade than well, true, than, yeah, but... than uh, in living. But again, Bond's but looking think... at him in that hat, thinking, "What are you wearing?" But he's be- yeah. the thing is, out of his two appearances as Wade, I think he's better in Goldeneye than he is in this. Yes, his character, he is. His character yes. in this doesn't lend anything. If no, you took no. it out, it could, he wouldn't it, be missing it. Would, it. Would, no. it would no, no, I actually no. think Al Matthews, who plays the sergeant, yeah. is better. He has yes. more gravitas, yeah. and of course, he was a real life sergeant. Yeah, yeah. You read his history. He was in Aliens, but going way, way back, he was in the Vietnam War. So, effectively, he, he's being himself. So, and of course, David Arnold's score, yeah. just fantastic. It yeah. really, really does stand out, highlight the whole thing. It's And as he said himself, he threw the kitchen sink at it, and he doesn't miss a beat. No, he doesn't he, miss a beat. It was very, very noticeable on first listening. Mm. It was such a relief. Not, and say, well, as we said before, Eric Serra's music, it, it, it was... It was Unique mm. and it fit the film. It was right for the yeah. film. But as soon as you heard David Arnold's yeah. for Tomorrow Never Dies, it, you knew what he was doing. You yeah. knew who his hero was, and he's done is the best that he possibly can. Going going on our first uh, showing, uh, mine and John's were, I think, one of the best showings ever, and it was straight after the Royal Premiere. Yeah, it was the Midnight the, Show. Uh, the uh, Odeon Leicester, Leicester Square, Square at midnight, and every single beat, every single gag was... Th- the whole cinema was laughing along with yeah. it, weren't they, or, or it was, shocked. It was a, or, a, I mean, you, you, uh, for those who, who don't know, I don't know whether you've obviously been to the... Whether they've made they've made a lot of changes to the the Odeon Leicester Square back when we saw it, it wasn't the Lux uh. Uh, that it is now, uh, where you've got the recliners. It was rows of seats, and the place yeah. was absolutely heaving. Yeah. It was sold out top and bottom, and it was the first screening that the the, the premiere just finished, and then all the fans went in afterwards. Every single line, uh, it wasn't just uh. the gags; they all fell in the right place. But it was the <gasps> you know all that yeah. shock and horror, and the rounds of applause at the end of the pre-title sequence. Yeah. And yeah, uh, it was just wonderful, fabulous, fabulous possibly the best screening we've ever seen. I think mm. it's funny what you say there, Bob, because Goldeneye was right. I felt it worked for that film. Yeah, but the the thing is, the audience especially had had almost they'd had they'd had such there had been a void between Bond films between John Barry and mm. effectively mm. between David Arnold. Such a void. Michael Kamen was also great, but the thing is. David Arnold, he just brings it all back. Yeah. He almost, well, he does overcompensate. He he puts the 007 theme oh, yeah. and so many little riffs and motifs in virtually every single scene. Yeah, he mm. does. But it works. It does. And I honestly think that's Arnold's best score. I also see, though, it's his best one. I also think, and this is this is obviously a, a generational thing. But we, I mean, me and Bob, are very lucky to be in a situation where we've been able to meet David on a couple of occasions, and we couldn't have done that if that was John Barry, no. because there's a different situation to the. I mean, we did meet John Barry, but it was a, it was a very different situation. Ooh. Yeah, well, to be able to Albert Hall, outside the Albert Hall, but to be able to walk up to David. David in the street, which is what yeah. we did that night on the night of the premiere, and have a chat with him. We're going, yeah. hang on, this is the composer of the Bond. Yeah, it's just crazy. And we also met him at a, a private 
do, wasn't it? It was, um, uh, it was um, Pete Lockett. Pete Lockett, Pete Lockett who was the, the percussionist. percussionist. That, that was uh, after uh, World Is Not Enough, yeah. wasn't it? And um, we, we no, no, it wasn't after. It was leading up to. It was leading up to because right. we went backstage and he actually showed us showed us the single showed us the single, the garbage's single, and it hadn't been even that he had well, on. It got a, a demo of it. Was it on a? a it was a, a, a new CD. It, it, wasn't it, it, the it? garbage's actually sent, right. him the sent him the CD before, um, before he'd actually incorporated it into the film. And the the other thing we we did want to mention was in connection with um, with Goldeneye, wasn't it? Um, oh yes. That, uh, Bob had had a conversation with Tom. Yes. About uh, Tom, Tom, Tom thought he was he himself was a bit weird. In when the film had come out, when it was released on video, he he, he taped it so that he could. He, he loved the film so much, he taped it onto cassette so yeah. that he could listen to it. And he said, he, he asked, he said, please tell me I'm not weird. And I sent him, no, you're not, because me and John, at the time of the of Goldeneye coming out, we visited the cinema at least six times to record Goldeneye on a dictaphone, yeah. which we then transcribed onto a cassette and joined all these six parts together <laughs> right, yeah. so we could listen to it. So we, even, even the bungee jump, you can hear, you can hear the, the wind. Different rushing and wind coming down. So, that, so, so no, Tom, you know, no, we're all as weird as each other. The, in fact, the only people who are weird are those people who didn't record the film back then. Exactly. You know, they, exactly. there wasn't a video recording we were after, but the audio. Yeah. And he started yeah. this. Uh, Bob started <laughs> this because he had uh, a C ninety cassette. Yeah. Uh, for those people young who don't know what that is, Google it. Uh, a C ninety cassette of the Living Daylights. Mm. And so the movie, or it might have been a longer cassette anyway, but it was, mm. uh, it was uh, uh, the, the Living Daylights was on cassette. I thought, well, that's a great idea because I could listen to it anywhere. Yeah. And so when the new film came out and I got this dictaphone, and of course, you know, you, you could just pop it in your pocket and there was no issue with it whatsoever and happy days and we it recorded was, the whole thing. It was thing. a great feeling after we'd put it together. And then to listen to, to listen it. To listen to it and know that, know that we were listening to a film that it was still out at the cinema. And you closed your eyes and you knew exactly what the film was. There's, bit, know, there's the bits was. of the film that always mean such a lot to us, like with Bond and M. And, point uh, taken. How it, how it recorded. <laughs> Bond, uh, Brosnan saying, point taken, and it, it recorded it accentuated it the phrase. Hours, yeah. <laughs> so uh, it it was a very exciting time, I it must was. admit. This, this <coughs> period, this period yeah. for Bond, yeah. uh, Brosnan taking over in 95 and Tomorrow Never Dies were two huge moments, mm. I think, for Bond mm. and for fans. You know, the, the, the coming back together for, for, uh, for Goldeneye, Brosnan was absolutely perfect. This second one, it's that tricky second album, mm, isn't it? Yeah. You know, they've, the first album was such a great album and they want the artist to go out and record and make another wonderful album. And this is really good and has moments in play. Now, the third album... That was trickier still. Mm. Maybe didn't deliver as much, possibly, mm. um, as the. But I mean, this one just. Well, it, it, the scene uh, this, one, this one stands up. It really, uh, yeah. it really does. Like you it, say, they had the expectations. It was the yes. expectation yeah, was there, you know. Yeah. Like, sorry, Kevin, for putting uh, in, but no, no, they had like Goldeneye was so like classic Bond for the fans from the yeah. previous Bonds. Uh-huh. It was new and exciting for the fan base that had literally just gone to see it. Like any other movie on a Saturday, what can we go see? Yeah. With the weight of expectation, and I think if I remember rightly, they had a very rushed like post-production because of again trying to meet the deadlines and everything. 
And yeah, it, I yeah. think it's a tribute to like the people that make the films, the fact that they were able to film it, edit it, get the soundtrack, get it all out, probably literally with the ink still wet on it for the premiere kind of yeah. thing. Yeah, it was. Uh, wasn't it? It was a November release. This one wasn't it? Was it November? We started filming in April or something like that. It's yeah. not very long. Mm, you yeah, know, do the whole March thing in October. Yeah. But uh, again, it wasn't like, very long it at was all, very was it? Quick. And again, like you said, credit to Vic and the second unit because if they'd not have had so much work that they did, they probably wouldn't have met the deadline. No, absolutely. Mm. And equally, John Richardson's model work. Oh, his model work's super. That first, that first moment after the pre-title, yep. right? Yeah, is a model mm. of the Devonshire, wow. and you, you just you, you, you go, wow! It's unbelievably good. It's yeah. right there in front of you. Do you mean H- in the HMS Devonshire? Devonshire. Devonshire. <laughs> And Shire, they're, they're, they're absolutely brilliant. And I just love the way that it just rocks into shot. Yeah, because yeah. obviously they, they filmed all of that, the, the pre title, they filmed it months before That's they right, filmed yeah. anything else. And Brosnan wasn't available at the time he was filming the, the one with Dante's, Dante's Peak. Dante's Peak, Peak yeah. yeah. I think he was filming that. So, you, you mean, I mean, you can tell it's Wayne Michaels from behind running and jumping and punching. Oh, and then obviously yeah. this slot, Brosnan's. Wayne certainly earns every yes, penny of his fee, I must say. It still works very well. It does. And, yeah. It does mini- work well. The miniature work, God, if you if oh. I'd not been told, I would never have known. No, it's spectacular. But I think the way to describe these two films, Goldeneye and this one, Goldeneye is the best Brosnan, mm. but this is my favourite. Yeah, and that's yeah. The, that's the way I see these two. These two are golden. I think World Is Not Enough is is still it's not a bad. Very very good film. It's yeah, very, I, um, I like but it's a very good film. Because the one thing about this film and Not Enough as well that we don't see in any of the others from Brosnan is that there's an anger. It's like it goes back to what you were saying about Paris. When yeah. he loses her, there's like an anger in his eyes. Yeah. yeah. And it's that gritty bond again. It's the same with Roger. Dear Roger, in For Your Eyes Only. You know, it's one yeah. of those moments. And I love those moments. They, they, uh, we uh, see it again in World Is Not Enough. A lot of people forget, I mean, that, you know, as they did with Roger. You know, Roger had his moments there in Spy Who Loved Me where he's a really acting. I mean, he's mm. a very, very good actor. Mm. And there's difficult and there's tense moments there, which he does. Pierce does exactly the same yes. thing here, Correct. you know? Mm. That particular sequence with Paris in, in, in the bedroom, mm. I think it's fantastic. Yeah. It's a wonderful scene. It's like we were saying before, I just wish so, because I just wish we'd had more of a backstory for yeah. their their relationship, her character, potentially. Yeah. Got to say as well, musically, I mean, obviously we talked about how the audience were deprived of a stalwart composer. We've discussed the score itself, but the travesty of not having Surrender as the main title. Yes, I think We have to mention this, but it's... Utter lunacy. It is a travesty. That song. It must have was so perfect. disappointed David Arnold. And I don't know. I don't know what else he could have done. You know, no. and he's written the entire score yeah. is based around that theme. And say so it's even. It's even on the pre-titles. Yeah. isn't it? you can hear it. It's there the whole time, and uh, for varying political and lunous, ludicrous reasons, mm. they've said no, 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 no. We'll get. And Cheryl Crow's one is, in comparison, just terrible. Yeah. It doesn't. No, it's not it's, right. It doesn't it's, work. It's, it's okay. It's all right. It's. it's but it's once not, you've heard the other one, on no. surrender. It's and no, KD Lang's voice is much uh, better as well. The lungs on was, the girl. Was, I mean that note. It was at the, the end of it. Uh, just sensational. It was the the uh, the problem with KD Lang's personal life. So so we're led to believe. But then, you know. when, you, but then when you flash forward. Almost twenty years, well, exactly, and then yes. uh, suddenly it's role reversal. Yeah, yeah. No, and, and that's nowadays. What, that's what adds insult to nowadays, there would be people in the streets marching and complaining. Well, it was a travesty to begin with, but that just rubs salt. Yeah, it was. I mean, I, I think we've all done it by playing 
the surrender at, straight after white night. Fits perfectly. And it, and it absolutely fits. Yes, it does. Yeah, if you go, it really you go on does. the old Tinterweb, you can, people have put videos <laughs> to the it. main titles yeah, with that right. song, and it just works. The only decent thing about Tomorrow Never Dies is the intro. I love that intro into the song, but then as soon as she starts yeah. singing for yeah. me, you've lost me. Yeah, it's, um, it's not, not a fan, um, I'm afraid. Well, I, don't, I don't think it helps with it being... Like a downbeat start. Exactly. Dun, 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 dun. See, see, I quite like that. I do like that intro, but it's yeah. just when she starts singing, it, it, what I think her voice is, I, I don't think it's suitable for that intro, especially after what we've just had. Mm. It would have been far better as an outro song with Surrender being the absolute main theme. Yeah. Mm. But that's that's me, and I'm sure well, hopefully many people it, would agree with that. I think that. it's a lot of us. Uh, that was uh, super to see that. Um, are we regrouping for uh, next week? I World I, is not Enoughy. Can't make well, yeah, right. I might be able to do it, but that's it then. I can't go and see tomorrow. Uh, uh, die yes, another day because I've got antibiotics, and and I, I've only seen it three times in 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 the last nineteen years. So we I can't will, really you might like it. I won't. We shall drag you out. The more times you see it, the more it will grow. I won't. I won't see no yes, time to die. Anyway, so like, like <laughs> <laughs> So that's it then, fellas. Right? It is. Super. Okay, Until next time. Goodbye. Adieu. He knows the island. He says they all avoided that it's dangerous for boats to be around there at sunset. But for 5,000 American dollars, uh, he'll take us. Good. Maybe he'll take a check. It's mostly dull routine, of course. But every now and then, you get to sail on a beautiful evening like this, and sometimes work with a decadent agent of a corrupt Western power. They say communists don't know how to have fun. Uh, I hate to disappoint you, but I don't even have a little red book. If anything happens to me, the fuses for the mines are in here. We're gonna finish this together. And if I may say so, you found the right decadent, corrupt, Western agent as a partner. Dom, once again, I give my thoughts on Tomorrow Never Dies after I've just watched it at Milton Keynes Odeon. The beginning of the film, Gun Barrel, is one of the best in the series. The design, the music, of course, is just excellent. The pre-title sequence, it just takes off another level after the secretive quietness of Goldeneye. This one's just bang, straight in the action, brilliant. Robinson does the Tanner replacement, good as well. And the Navy, man, I can't think of his name. He was from Forty Towers. I have a doctor and I want my sausages, that man. I don't know what his name is, but him. And the Russian guy, he says, Chernobyl, and have to go at that picnic. Bond in his brown leather jacket and green trousers. I don't know if any of you have ever played the video game, but it just reminds me of that, the first mission on the Tomorrow Never Dies video game. The pre-titles, I didn't really enjoy them that much. I don't like the song, to be honest. Cheryl Crow, I don't like it. Give me Katie Lang any day of the week. The next scene, the HMS Devonshire being sank, is an interesting build-up to the villain being revealed, Elliot Carver. His henchman doing the dirty work, and he's there composing a newspaper article. And we don't really see his face until the last minute. The horrible attack on the ship is brutal and slow. And not very nice to watch, but it sets the tone well for this film. I'm at the Ministry of Defence of Money Penny, complaining to the doctor who wants his sausages. He wants to send the Navy in to retaliate against the ship being sank. Oliver Bond has information that 
sailors were actually murdered as well as the ship being sunk. Therefore, the Navy Guard wants to send all his men in. However, M wants 48 hours for Bond to investigate the matter. The scene where they take Bond to the airport with the understeering Daimler and pumping for information is a build-up scene of Elliot Carver's ground and it's a good introduction of knowledge for the villain. The Germany scene in the airport is great with Q and the reveal of the car gave me nostalgic vibes which I really enjoyed and made me a little bit emotional actually. The party scene in Hamburg I don't have much time for but Bond in the tux, wow what a man. Watching it this time I feel Elliot Carver doesn't get the recognition he deserves however he's not a high ranking villain but he certainly doesn't deserve to be down near the bottom. Elliot Carver in his party scene where he tries to be the impartial man and Bond has no time for it. He's on to Carver straight away and he has no time for his bullshit. He'd be lost at sea. One thing I really liked is the fight scene in the soundproof room where the man is drinking his cup of coffee and in the background through the pane of glass is the big fight and he has no idea. That was quite funny from my view. Once he's got rid of all these bad guys and cutting the power is just absolutely brilliant. We see Carver lose all his marbles. Paris decides to go to Bond. This scene is brilliant with his shots of vodka unwinding down for the evening with his silenced PP7. PPK is a good scene with good interaction from both Bond and Paris. He tries to get her to leave but she's not having any of it and she wants to stay with James, which is fair enough. After disposing of her dress, it's back to Kara and Gupta, who, in one of these scenes, I'm not sure exactly one, we notice after he puts the encoder down, a stack of cards. I never saw that. That's probably from the deleted scene take with the cards throwing. Carver decides that he needs to make an appointment for his wife with the doctor. It's a sad goodbye from Paris, who Bond tries to save, but she can't be saved, or maybe doesn't want to be saved. Giving him the information about the secret laboratory, how to get the encoder, Bond goes and gets the encoder. However, he must encounter Gupta's pawn stash and drug collection in his satellite enclosed safe. We encounter Waylin once more after the party. She's also trying to get the encoder. However, Bond gets it just in time. There's also a bit of shithousery here from Bond who destroys Gupta's satellite on his way out of the office. Then the printing press chase, which I absolutely loved. All hellfire, running away and shooting and bangs. Then the man you interviewed on your podcast, I can't think of his name, the stuntman who has his arm broken and falls into the printing press. They'll print anything these days. Got a few laughs from the audience. Then on to the man, the legend, Dr. Carlton. What character this is, he's brilliant. I absolutely adore him. He even got a few laughs which I'd never encountered before when he tries to get Bond to open the car up and says, it is very embarrassing. Um, I don't know what to say. That did get a few laughs, which is odd because I've never laughed myself. We've got to talk about the car chase. What a car chase. And that song. I forgot to mention that song in my preview, but that song as well is just brilliant. The Prepare the Heads, uh, Backseat Driver, I think it's called. The weapons, Bond jumping into the backseat and then escaping and sending it back to Avis. Not the right way to do it, but still gets it back there. Granted. Then the encounter with Jack Wade in somewhere in the South China Sea. Bond in a Navy suit as well. Wow. That is just outstanding. It's a shame that Daniel Craig never got to outer navy suit either. The Vietnam stuff for me now was all a bit wishy-washy but the bike chase is brilliant. I really enjoyed the bike chase. Jumping off the building over the top of the helicopter, getting away from its blades, going underneath the helicopter when they could have been decapitated. Fantastic. Also a shout out here to Michelle Yeoh who was also in one Christmas film I watched, I can't think of the name. She's brilliant in the kung fu scene. She manages to overpower them, however the guy has the gun. And there's no getting away from that until Bond comes to save the day. Looking for the mission was a good scene as well. Bond 
putting his hand on the dragon and setting fire, that got a few laughs. And then trying to get the computer when it's all in Chinese, that got a few laughs as well. I have to take this back to the video game now. When Waylin finds out that Halong Bay is where the stealth ship is, I don't know if it's the same noise the computer makes as the level where you play as Waylin in the video game and you have to press the square, circle and triangle buttons. It seems the same noise to me, but I could be wrong. Something else that stuck in my mind was when they're on the junk and about to get in the dinghy, Waylin says something about a decadent, corrupt Western agent, and I thought that they had good banter there. I feel that this is the only bit of chemistry between Bond and Waylin, which isn't forced. Then the boat scene, blowing everything to Keegan come, everything before when Bond's doing it in secret is not brilliant, as well as Waylin being captured. And I don't have much time for Carver taking the piss out of her doing the Kung Fu things. I feel that has aged very badly, to be honest. I wasn't a big fan. I haven't mentioned Stampy at this review. What I got here is that suit and t-shirt combination is brilliant. I've never seen that before. I'd like to see that again in the Bond film. Also, it only took me until tonight to realise that he has two different coloured eyes. I never knew that. Once Bond is dispatched of everybody, apart from Stamper and Carver, he manages to get from one side of the boat to the other before it explodes. Although he is under a pile of rubble until he manages to get out. The death scene of Elliot Carver is not a brilliant one, being fed to the CVAC. It's a shame that they didn't have a fist fight, but I suppose Stamper is Carver's bodyguard, effectively, so there was no need for him to get physically involved. Once Bond takes care of Carver, it's on to destroying the missile, and that music on the day's work starts. Wow, I absolutely loved this part, and it was brilliant. The fight between Bond and Stamper on top of the missile platform is brutal. A lot of serious punches going on, and his leg being crushed, wow. This fight was brilliant for me because the fights between Necros and Hans in the past films inspire this one, but I feel this one is a lot more brutal than those two. I just love the way that he dangles Bond down and they'll die together. However, pulling the knife out of his chest, and then ripping his gilet and falling in the water 100 miles an hour, that always makes me laugh. Then it's pretty much done. Let's stay undercover, I feel like. I don't know how long they would have stayed there before before being picked up by the bed HMS Bedford, but I don't really like this ending too much. The only thing I noticed on this viewing is this is a film from 1997, and they're in water at the end, and there was conveniently room for both of them on that bit of destroyed stealth boat. Why on earth couldn't that have happened in the other film from 1997? I will never know. There was definitely room on that door, and I'll hold it down to the day I die. Anyway, 1997 films aside. Tomorrow Never Dies was just what I expected, and I was really happy to have been there in person tonight to watch it. I'll be gutted to be missing out on The World's Not Enough next week, because I really want to watch that one in person. However, a work commitment to take priority. This is just what I wanted to see, because I feel that Pierce Brosnan, this is Pierce Brosnan's best adventure of James Bond. In my opinion, The World Is Not Enough is probably, out of GoldenEye, this one, and The World, they're between those three. Die Another Day, no. But after his introduction, I feel that this is a great effort. This film just works for me. The pre-title sequence, the soundtrack, the storyline. The third film, I feel like it really comes together for him. However, I did feel that Pierce Brosnan did get shafted with the scripts for the film, and it's a shame that he didn't get better storylines for his tenure. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? 
All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Thank you to my lovely girlfriend for also accompanying me on these bomb viewings. She has been very patient not watching any of the quantum before. That may be it for now. If possible, I wouldn't mind seeing how quantum solids will look after all these years. But for now, that's my review of Tomorrow Never Dies. Thank you so much for listening. Really, the below seven. Cheers, guys. Thank you. Hey! Pathetic. So I got back from Tomorrow Never Dies at the Great Northern in Manchester about 20 minutes ago. And I've just been thinking about the film whilst just, you know, speaking to a couple of people uh, on Twitter and Insta uh, just about it. It's really weird because, I mean, like I said before, it is ranked 18th and, you know, that is, you know, out of 25. It, it, yes, it's close to the bottom, but I really did have a good time and it was it was actually so good to see on the big screen. I think this absolutely was, you know, like <laughs> like like all the others, it's made for the big screen and I think you can really appreciate it a lot more. I've never like overlooked it per se, but I think because it is just so by the numbers in, in many respects, I think there's not a lot that truly makes it stand out against, you know, all the other films. Although, of course, there are, you know, of plenty of memorable moments. One thing I really noticed about this, I've kind of gone through the characters already in the first recording, but I think what I did notice more, you know, people have said about the about the soundtrack and about David Arnold, and, you know, he really does do a great job. And I think what I've noticed way more this time than any other, and I think that compared to his other scores for the rest of the, of the Bond films that he did, this feels very much like he's trying to challenge on Barry. And that's not a bad thing. I don't think it's a perfect thing either, but I think what David Arnold does is manage to kind of put the music where it really needs to be, put the correct music, or at least the, the the music you believe would be there in a Bond film. You know, in the first few seconds alone, you know, after the gun barrel, you know, you get the music that introduces you to the airbase and it, it feels like something that John Barry would do. The Bond theme when Bond is travelling, when he's at the airport in Hamburg, that's another thing that, that was done in the early Bond films. Of course, the Bond theme throughout, you know, it's, it is very much... David Arnold channeling John Barry and it's good it's really good and you know I think you know hearing Surrender throughout I think Surrender is, is great as I've said before but you know there's plenty of other you know end title songs or other songs like you know where has everybody gone if there was a man you know that have played you know in living daylights yet they weren't a title song so yeah so that was it was nice to notice that and I think what I like about this film is that there's not it doesn't feel drawn out it it does feel like it's Yep, we're going here, 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 here. 
I think it needs some time to breathe a little bit, and I think it needs to be, you know, some more... I just think it needs, not to be padded out, but it just needs a little bit more in there. I think Goldeneye did a really good job of kind of pacing everything. The pacing to Whenever Dies is good, though. I mean, don't get me wrong. It's, it's weird. I've never felt as conflicted coming out of it, because it's not like when I came out of Fear Eyes Only and was kind of not disappointed, but I, I knew that it w- it was it just wasn't going to go anywhere and that I, that I kind of felt the same. Here, I feel a little bit different, but at the same time, Everything that I I thought prior to watching during this viewing is to me still feels valid. But yeah, I mean, I I love that this film is getting kind of a, a resurgence in a way. It kind of feels like a lost a lost Bond film sometimes because it is very much the one that people kind of either gloss over or they say, oh, it's one of Pierce's you know middle films. It's a '90s Bond film that's not Goldeneye. You know all of that stuff. One thing that I did actually, it was funny. I kind of remembered that this is like one of the films that I think another another you know a family member and uncle um had and i remember watching it very young with my cousin kind of but not like watching it all the way through just remembering like just little bits here and there and i completely forgot about that and i've never thought about it and i don't know why but i was watching it on the big screen then and I, and, I, and it just made me think of my cousin and i was like that's really weird because that's not happened before but i feel like they were the ones who had golden eye on n64 so it kind of was that era was kind of, you know, relates to that side of the family. So it was that was kind of nice as well. But yeah, I think I think in just terms of the film overall, I think it, it is really solid. You know, cast is great, locations are good, music is good. I think the actual plot is 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 decent. I kind of like that Carver is not just you know, at least with like a a Hugo Drax and a Stromberg, they are they are wanting <laughs> they are crazy. Um, but they kind of at least have a cause in their mind which you know they want to make a better world and and i know it's it's weird to even think of it like that it's it's absurd but carver is literally he just wants he just wants control over the media he wants that power and you know it's it's awful how far he'll go to get it it's quite brutal you know there's some there's some real brutal moments in this film i mean the murder of the sailors at the beginning is really quite you know disturbing to to see and especially just how you know i i noticed gupta had like a glass of champagne next to the jamming system uh the gps thing when when that was happening and i was like wow it's like they're celebrating they are celebrating the deaths of of these you know people in order to create you know world war you know it's and you know they 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 don't care so i mean it's it's something that i've not thought about clearly enough but i think it's it's kind of interesting to have them go down that route and i I feel like nowadays it kind of hits home way more with you know what's gone on the past few years i think it feels more closer to reality and that's why you know i'll always say the brosnan films still feel like they are very relatable and very much something that could be you know made today Whereas I feel like some of the you know earlier Bond films are, are, are much more dated, and you know I mentioned on the Goldeneye one that Goldeneye felt very very unique. It it seemed visually uh, distinctive compared to you know the other Brosnan films, and I could definitely tell you know as soon as Tomorrow Never Dies started, it just looked more like a more like an action film, you know. And I think you know I think if I was going to describe this, I would say it's more of a, a strong action film than the strongest Bond film even though it still is, you know, a strong Bond film. But I think that it just goes to show, you know, what, you know, different direction can do. And whether, and again, whether it was a different film grain, I don't know. But 
it looks much different, you know, much more different to me. And I have to say, you know, I, I did mention about Pierce looking great in this film, but seeing it on the big screen and just seeing, you know, how how he, his mannerisms, just the way, the way he looks, his hair, his clothing, just his swagger, you know, everything just works. And, you know, his... His acting during the Kaufman scene, you know, it's just it's just so great, you know, and him waiting for Paris. I mean, those are the scenes that, you know, people go to when they look at Brosnan's acting in this film. And you have to agree because it's just excellent. You know, he does a really good job. And I think, you know, again, you know, I'm going to say to the people who don't like Brosnan, you know, I think you need to watch those scenes. I think you need to watch this film on the big screen because, you know, he does a great job and, you know, with what he has. And I think, you know, we'll get to, you know, die another day later. But um, so I am waffling anyway, but, you know, a really great time to watch this. It's a bombastic action film, you know, and, you know, if you can watch one of those, if it's successful, you're going to enjoy it. And this is a successful film, so that's great. The World Is Not Enough is next, one that I've seen on the big screen before, but very much in looking forward to seeing it because it is six, so we are we are bumping up 12 places uh, now to, you know, the, my next Bond film. Tomorrow Never Dies was one that I hadn't seen on the big screen, so now I've got one more official Bond film, Die Another Day, <laughs> left to see on the big screen, which I'm kind of, I'm looking forward to, but I'm not because I just can't believe that Die Another Day is the last one I'm going to see before I'm all caught up. But in any case, The World Is Not Enough is next, and I, and I adore that film. I just think it's excellent, so not sure if I'm going to be seeing it with the others yet. Cheers for listening, and I'll be back on The World Is Not Enough. This is good sort of a.k.a. Mr. Stemper from Tomorrow Never Dies. You're listening to Really 007. Have fun. I owe you an unpleasant death, Mr. Bond. Hey, folks, how's it going? So, yes, I went to watch Tomorrow Never Dies this last Tuesday at the Odeon in Manchester. And uh, I actually last went to watch this in December 97. It was after a works party that I went to, Christmas party, and uh, I was slightly hungover. I went to watch that at the Odeon in Leeds back in the day. It's a decent Bond film. It's never been near the top of my chart, but I do think it's one of Pierce's best performances. He's obviously decent in GoldenEye. But I think he takes it up another notch here. It's good to see Q in it again. I love when Q's out in the field. So many laughs at that scene in the airport with the car hire thing. Absolutely love that. The main body, Jonathan Price, is uh, he's a decent actor. You know, he's been in loads of good stuff. He's obviously got a bit campy in this one and well over the top. And uh, he's playing Carver. Or is it Murdoch? Who knows? <laughs> Could be both. Bogs. Could be both. Yeah, he's okay. He's kind of over the top and a bit daft. Like a lot of other stuff as well, you get quite a few uh, sort of hinge people in it as well. Stampers, uh, quite good. Just okay. I love Dr. Kaufman. I used to think he was a bit bit naff and a bit over the top, but I actually love him now. I think he's superb. He got some big laughs in the cinema, that guy, when he was there. Uh, I could shoot you from Stuttgart and still have this desired effect. That was, that, that was quite bad, wasn't it? <laughs> but uh, it sounded a little bit like him. Paris Carver, Terry Hatcher, just... She's okay. I mean, I used to quite fancy her in, uh, in the Superman stuff on TV, but um, she just seems a bit forced in this one. I think she's caught acting in this, which is never a good thing. I would have loved to see Monica Bellucci, to be honest, but no, she, she was not bad in this. I actually quite enjoyed her in this, uh, on this viewing. I do like Michelle Yeoh as uh, Whaley, and I think she's, uh, I think she's 
she's lovely, you know, she's nice. I think she does it so good in this one. And it's good to see her in other films since, you know, I saw her last in that George Michael film that was on. And, uh, yeah, she still looks fantastic. What well, I was going to say, the song, um, the title song's not bad. I quite liked her stuff back in the day, but I still think, like a lot of Bond fans, that the KD Lang song is stronger, the one that plays out at the end. Plot's good. A decent plot. I do think the PTS is actually one of the best in the Bond canon. I think the plot is basically... Despite Love Me in 1997, isn't it? <laughs> I couldn't help thinking that I was watching that, kind of just sort of laughing to myself as I was thinking that. No, it's good. It's a good, solid Bond film. Uh, the exposition is good, you know, uh, it flows well. And uh, yeah, it's a decent Bond film. It's about 18th in my chart, which doesn't mean it's bad. It just means it's, you know, there's a lot of films that I prefer to this one. But it's actually gone up a little bit in the chart. It's crept up a little bit from the, uh, the drop zone at the bottom. Yeah, it's good. I enjoyed it. Looking forward to The World Is Not Enough, which that's definitely one that's going up my chart bit as well. Yeah, thanks for listening. Uh, check me out on Twitter as well. I love being part of the Bond Twitter community. My handle on that is The Northerner Who Love Me. So if you just search on The Northerner, you can find me on there. But yeah, thanks for listening, guys. Take care of yourselves. See you later. Bye. Hi, Patrick in. Just as Octopussy and Moonraker are amongst the most easily rewatchable Bond films for me of Roger's tenure, so too is Tomorrow Never Dies for Brosnan's tenure. You could consider it the last film that for the most part tells a fairly traditional Bond story. True, there is the whole Paris Carver subplot, but overall this film doesn't require a huge amount of emotional investment in the characters or story in order to entertain its audience, which is why, like plenty of other Bond films in its mould, it was tons of fun to see on the big screen. To start things off, it's actually a lot funnier than I remember. For a film that didn't have a finished script throughout most of the shooting, the amount of genuinely hilarious lines they were able to get in absolutely got the appropriate reaction in the cinema. Parts like Dr. Kaufman saying he's embarrassed at having to force Bond to open the BMW, Roebuck's remarks to him about her suitability for handling the situation, you know the line, and of course, Money Penny and M's brief exchange after the cunning linguist line. And the size of the audience at my showing was pretty decent too. Not as big as it was for Goldeneye, but clearly a fair few people might have seen the film when it first came out. Regarding the pre-credit sequence, aside from being a brilliantly tense and action-packed opening as per usual with the Brosnan films thus far, there's one directorial touch I find rather interesting. Even though Goldeneye introduced audiences to Pierce as the new Bond, this film interestingly enough seems to give him a secondary introduction. Remember, we don't see him for at least three to four minutes at the start of the sequence. That is, until he knocks out one of the heavies he's having a smoke. Filthy habits, says the man who drinks vodka martinis and has smoked several times in previous films, especially Dalton's Bond. Still, finishing it off with a classic-style Bond one-liner is just the icing on the cake. On the big screen, it's the best this opening has ever looked. The rest of the film still fares very well on the big screen, all the stuff in Hamburg, from Carver's party to the car park chase, exudes that classic Bond atmosphere, and mix it with the fresh action sensibilities of the 90s. Though the character of Paris Carver is a novel idea, it's one that could have been explored more in a different film, in my opinion, which might have been able to spend a bit more time giving depth to the whole idea. Though that's not to say that Terry Hatcher does a poor job. She's just okay. She doesn't do anything particularly wrong, but nothing amazing either. Monica Bellucci indeed would have been a better choice as Brosnan felt. At least Wei Lin adds a welcome amount of fun to proceedings, Michelle Yeoh is very talented at what she does, and for the first time since Hollygood Head, 
there's that lovely set of back-and-forth one-upmanship going on between the two rival agents. Though there was some with uh, Pambouvier, it wasn't quite the same sort of dynamic. True, the romantic element between Bond and Wei Lin may feel a bit forced, but on this viewing I found it wasn't as intrusive as I remember. Maybe that's because Wei Lin only really comes into the forefront in the second half of the film, once she and Bond bump into each other in the sunken Devonshire. Speaking of which, am I the only one who sees a few similarities to For Your Eyes Only? Both films have the sinking of a ship with Bond and the girl going scuba diving to investigate the wreck. Only the Tomorrow Never Dies underwater sequence is much shorter. Maybe that's just another example of how this film follows much of the traditional Bond formula, as there's also the whole playing two sides off each other villainous scheme, something that You Only Live Twice and Spy helps pioneer. Either way, though the motorbike chase set in Vietnam does have its more fantastically outlandish moments, such as the helicopter going forwards in the middle of the street and using its propeller blades as weapons, I'm not too bothered by such artistic license, because the chase itself, directed mostly by second unit director Vic Armstrong, is a fantastic example of the fun this film provides. Something as simple as arguing over who's doing what on the bike and when can make a scene that otherwise sounds rather perfunctory on paper entertain immensely. What's more is that although the climax is pretty much a crazy blow of gunfire and shouting, it's directed with enough sense of geography and purpose to not completely bore. Well, that's the experience I had with it on the big screen. This time I felt I was able to better understand exactly what was going on, so everything didn't just feel like mindless shooting. The race against time to stop the missile firing perhaps could have been a bit shorter and therefore slightly tenser, but it worked well enough for my liking. As did Jonathan Price's portrayal of the memorably hammy but fun villain of Elliot Carver. Trevelyan in Goldeneye is probably still my preferred villain of the Brosnan films, alongside Electric King. But Carver's got his moments too. Maybe the script could have fleshed out his motivations more, but when I'm having so much fun with everything else in the film, one small detail like that is hardly likely to annoy me. I'm willing to just roll with the idea that he's absolutely bonkers and just likes playing God like many lunatic villains in the franchise. And how could I talk about this film without mentioning David Arnold's soundtrack? For the first time since Barry scored The Living Daylights, this is the most Bondian the score has sounded in the series. No offence to Michael Kamen for his License to Kill score, he did a good job. But this is certainly more suitable for a Bond film than the majority of Eric Serra's score for Goldeneye. Whilst re-watching, I noticed a few similarities to the instrumentation and composition of the Honor Majesty's Secret Service remix that Arnold did around the same time with Propeller Heads. Such a great tune, and Arnold clearly shows his love for the style that Barry brought to the sound of Bond. The use of an instrumental variation on Surrender is particularly welcome, and it only goes to show why the K.D. Lang song should have been playing over the title sequence. Not that I dislike the Sheryl Crow song, it's perfectly fine. Surrender just has a more of a bombastic Bondian feeling to it, particularly the brass which sounds like it could have come straight from a 60s Bond song. For all the troubles that this film faced during production, which certainly exhausted director Roger Spottiswood, I don't think it really shows as much as you'd think. It may not push any boundaries by innovating the series like Goldeneye did, or dedicate much of its time to making things slightly more personal for the character of Bond as the world is not enough attempting with Elektra, but it certainly entertains, and in large part, perhaps more so than its predecessor did. 
I suppose you could call it the most fun of the Brosnan films, even if I and many others consider Goldeneye his best. Nevertheless, a very solid entry into the Bond cabin. You can't miss it, folks. It's the definition of a fun action film. Hi guys, Tom here. Tom James on Twitter with my reflections on Tomorrow Never Dies. Saw it on Tuesday night at the Prestonodium. Shout out to John Cowell, my friend and fellow Bond aficionado. He, he joined me for the showing on uh, Tuesday night and uh, joined me for Licence to Kill a couple of weeks ago. Hopefully he'll join me for uh, a few more before the end of the run. Tomorrow Never Dies is one of those Bond films that I think is underappreciated. I've always liked it. I think it's a very strong uh, entry in the in the franchise. Brosnan very, very much into the role by this point. Incredibly star-studded as well. You've got early appearances from the likes of Gerald, Gerald Butler... Jason Watkins and Hugh Bonneville, um, and also Julian Fellows there. Great to see Jeffrey Palmer in a Bond film, especially <laughs> facing up with his uh, colleague Judy Dench as M. Really enjoy their dialogue on the big screen. The pre-title sequence is excellent. Really tense, exciting and very loud. Um, it's one of the best pre-title sequences of the whole franchise, I think. Not the best, but one of the best. Someone Never Dies is the first film that David Arnold takes over on, on the on the soundtrack duties and Matt, he gets it. Uh, he really does get get the Bond brief. Uh, absolutely explodes into the franchise with, with his first score. It's modern, yet yeah, classic. It's, it's a real solid use of the Bond theme, which we didn't get in the previous film. Gun, gun barrel theme itself is different to the previous ones. Makes it really his own. The only letdown on the on the soundtrack front, I think, is the actual theme song. Um, not that it's a bad song. I just think Sheryl Crow uh, was a poor choice for that song. It doesn't suit her singing style. I know she was popular at the time, but it just feels yeah. It just doesn't work for me. It's, it's not a go-to Bond theme for me, and it's a real shame that KD Lang track Surrender, which is on the end credits, that should have been the, the theme song, and to me it really is, but there we go. Just on Brosnan, he's clearly into the role, absolutely loving it in, in this film, especially in the car park sequence where he's you know, thoroughly enjoying throwing that BMW around by remote control. He has some really great moments in that film, but my favourite, I think, is the, the hotel scene, where he's drinking the vodka and then Paris Carver comes. Um, I think that's a really good scene, and that, that shot of him in the chair with the with his hand on the on the walther and drinking the vodka, I think, is, 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 is a real... That is 007. I think it's a properly classic scene uh, in the whole franchise. I really like the, the the wider cast. Jonathan Price, I think, is excellent as the, as the maniacal Elliot Carver. Um, whilst not one of the top-tier villains in the series, I think he's a really good one. The parallels, of course, with Robert Maxwell and, and uh, Rupert Murdoch are obvious. But I think Jonathan Price really lends an interesting side to that character, and I think he plays it really well. I know others are not quite as enamoured with it, but... <clears throat> I, I really enjoy it. In terms of Terry Hatcher as Paris Carver, I think she does a reasonable job for the screen time and, and, and the ask of that character. Michelle Yeoh as Waylon, excellent casting, excellent character, really, really believable. Love the scenes that she she has with Bond. Very clear that she is every inch his equal. 
Um, and it's really good. Really good action set pieces in the film. Really enjoy it. The motorcycle chase is is a really good one. There is a lot of cheesy lines in in the film. I think they they, they kind of befitting that whole scene in the in the limousine where they're talking about the pumping and all that kind of see it's very cheesy but it, it kind of works it's a really solid entry into into the franchise and one that like i said before i think is is underappreciated having not seen it uh, for some time and seen it on the big screen i think i'm gonna have to reevaluate my rankings because i think it's it's definitely climbed up a few spots thoroughly enjoyed seeing it, it reasonably well attended i don't think it was well att- as well attended as golden eye but still well attended um looking forward to the world is not enough coming up keep up the good work guys the missile's fully programmed it can't be stopped in a matter of minutes my plan will succeed and thanks largely to your efforts the british navy will destroy the evidence and i'll be out of here in a carver news helicopter covering the event it's going to be a fantastic show. I may have some breaking news for you, Elliot. You forgot the first rule of mass media, Elliot. Give the people what they want. So I'm back with George from Cinema Savvy, and I saw Tomorrow Never Dies on the Saturday night, and I think George saw it on the Sunday afternoon, is that right? At the awkward clashing sometimes <laughs> with the, you know, Sunday football extra yeah. camp. Does that mean you I, missed um, the Spurs game then? I, you know what I got? I, I got to watch the first half, and uh, I sat down at the cinema, and I just got a text off a friend, and it's like, you've just missed a scrap on the touchline. So I, I missed the exciting oh. half. It would happen. Um, <laughs> yeah, and I've you know, you know I don't support either team, but I'm just glad I don't miss my team. If that makes sense, like I've I've yeah. Uh, there's been a few times I missed games being at the cinema, and I don't like. It. I've had to like sort of get up and stand up and go at a quiet scene. Yeah, it was. You know, we spoke last week about Golden, and I was a bit disappointed at the attendance. There was only like seven people at Tomorrow Never Dies. Oh yeah. Um, and again, because I've not gone to these every week, I don't know if that's like the regular amount in my local cinema, but I was kind of not gutted. Because it, you know, it made it easier for me just to go in and take one of the the VIP seats about anyone needing to check. It was just, uh, yeah, it was it was like a very weird vibe. But like I said, Goldeneye, there's a few people there, but I just think it, it's such an awkward time still. Sunday at six o'clock, you know, who's going to not want to go to the cinema? But it's a very awkward time of the week for people to go to a cinema for a film that's been out over what twenty five years this year, isn't it? Eon when it knows the anniversary Bible. Yeah, it is the twenty five because obviously there was a bit of. Well, fan hoo-ha when it was GoldenEye 25, um, and particularly because of the game as well, but nothing really for Tomorrow Never Dies. That, maybe because it was on ITV on a Saturday night, fewer people yes. watched it. But I don't know why they're doing that. It doesn't seem very well planned, does it? Really? I, I hear that... I, I mean, I know that ITV has an incredible history of Bond, and like many people, like anyone in England... You probably grew up with seeing them on ITV as much yeah, as yeah. your videos. Maybe not the modern generation, but I, I saw it was on Saturday, and then I saw a few people tweeting saying that they cr- they cut loads of scenes again. Yeah, and it was with the Doctor. Yeah, yeah. and I was yeah, sort of yeah. sat, that's one of the that's well, it's not not just like a funny scene. That's an important scene as well. You can't miss a moment of I that one. They, I assume they kept most of the scene, but I don't. I presume they just cut the well. He, he kills him in cold blood, doesn't he? Which is yeah. pretty ruthless. We'll get to that maybe, but that's probably the most ruthless 
scene in the film. Yeah, no, Brosnan. I mean, yeah, yeah, for, for Brosnan as well. Like we get to see him be a killer, and you know we, we yeah. get it again in, in the world is not enough. But it is it is one of them that again I understand like TV editing. You know, you got to take time out for ad breaks, etc. But I think because I'm a bit of a not a snob with it, but when we've got family that will watch a film on TV, like Channel Four Film Four, I'll literally come up and I'll be like, "Listen, I've got this on Blu-ray. There's no adverts. It's better quality. There's no there's no watermarks. Just let me put the disc in. You can watch it." So I'm I'm like that with a lot of my family members. But yeah, tomorrow never dies. I do wonder because again, if you're a more casual person, would you want to go pay see it at the cinema the day after, or would you want to watch it on free on a Saturday on, on TV? So it is an interesting question for the absolute diehards who want to go to see everyone at the cinema. Then yes, they'll still see it. You know, people, obviously, some people are busy on Saturday night, so it's an easier time for them. But we are coming to the stage now where most of us Bond fans have seen them in the cinema, of course, before. So I'm, I'll be interested to see what the drop off is, if there is much, because I, I think when it comes back to like, okay, will is not enough, we'll big it up. But I'm, I'm worried that there won't be as much of a, you know, sort of casual observer who probably wouldn't want to bother with that. Down of the day. Likewise, <laughs> and then I think Casino Royale. I think there will be quite a few who will go to that. I mean, No Time to Die will be the interesting one because it's only a year since it came out, and there'll obviously a lot's happened since then in terms of a lot has not happened, and we're, we're no further forward into where we're going. And people's emotions were very strong at the time, so we'll be interested to see where they are a year's time, maybe. Yeah, it's really interesting that because I was sort of thinking about this when I was chatting to my parents to see you going to watch the Craig films, and I said no, and I, I love Craig, I love his era, but the excitement of Brosnan for me is that you know, Dino Day was the first Bond film I saw at the cinema. I've got like clear and concise memories of every Craig film and my experiences watching them all. Yes. And I was there like, they're so recent and I know them so well and I've seen them more at the cinema because I think I saw I think I've seen both of them, even Spectre at least uh, twice at the cinema. And I'm just there, like, I, I don't, I wouldn't get a kick out of seeing it again because it's so recent. Yeah. And I know that the um, BFI IMAX is doing an IMAX triple bill, which on paper would be great. I'd love to see Skyfall at the IMAX, but I think you're right. It's just too recent, and, and no time's time. I'd be really curious. I know that we've got the uh, the box office. I know that when we spoke last week, Goldeneye the numbers weren't out, and Goldeneye's decimated everything else that's come before. Yeah, which is great. I'm really great. curious about Craig now because I I think you're right. I think Casino Royale will get a lot of people going, uh, and I yeah. think again because it's Skyfall, 16 years yeah. old as well. Yeah, yeah. potentially Skyfall and. I'm going to be really intrigued to follow Craig's numbers. I might completely underestimate it, and a lot of casual people want to go out. But I also think a lot of people would have done all the Craig films last year, whereas they probably haven't seen the Moors, the Brosnans, the the Conneries in so long. So it is really interesting to follow who who's going and when. So what in terms of going back to Tomorrow Never Dies, then what did you take away from this? Because obviously this is a well one of your childhood favourite films, I assume. Wow, this is the one I've seen least from the Brosnan era. Oh, so, right. World is Not Enough was like the first one, the the, the nostalgic one. Dawn of the Day had a massive attachment to, and I saw Goldeneye Tomorrow Never Dies when I was a little bit not older, but Tomorrow Never Dies is certainly the one I'd seen the least. Yeah. And I'll say this: I don't want to get political, but as a kid, I didn't really understand it. If I'm being honest, because yeah. you're not you're not at the age to understand like a media mogul. Yeah, it's, like, it's a bit. Yeah, and whereas watching it again like yesterday and, and last year for the for the build up to the No Time Stay, I was sort of taken aback that for a film out in nineteen ninety seven, they've done well to I don't want to say predict the future because that sounds like a tin pot theory, but the concept of what's your grand evil plan to be a twenty four seven working news network? So, wow, yeah. like that's that's happened. Like that that is a thing, and I know Absolutely. that you know, 
they would have been murdered. It was a little bit not mocked, but you know, it's a shame that we don't have the the old. I just want to take over the world. Now we've got sort of media baron, and then well enough, we've got an yeah. oil baron. It seems a bit you know low key, but not at all. It's that's aged really well for me. That plot definitely. Yeah, and, and that's what I was took back with. That I love. I've I really like Edit Carver. It ha- it's great that Jonathan Price yeah. is an amazing stage actor, but I think for this, as, as, and I'd love Brosnan, but you can see, and I think this is this is. I mean, obviously, Lazenby is the only one that didn't get the chance to do so. But to me, each Bond actor, they only improve their performance with multiple films. Uh, you know, Dalton's probably the most obvious one in terms of like how his second film is that massive steep up in quality in terms of his performance. Like, it's almost yeah. a license skill was made for him. Samara never dies again. Brosnan's like more mature with it. He's still great at the one-liners, but he's better in regards to the acting moments, certainly like Paris's death and yeah. some of those other things. He He's really well. And obviously wasn't enough as where I think you have the best, like most personal story to him, but it was interesting seeing his performance. And again, because I'd never seen this on the big screen, this was a really cool experience to me because I wasn't ever sort of blown away when I was younger by the, the motorbike chase. I don't know why. Yeah. Whereas watching it yesterday, I was like, they're handcuffed together and you just get to appreciate the stunts more on the big screen that, you know, it, 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 yeah. And I think as well, when, you know, when you're watching them all at home and certainly what I do, I tend to watch them in order on a big rewatch. I could argue you potentially lose a bit of quality by seeing them all. Whereas taking it, you know, not even like one a week for me, but it's going to be four in a month. And that's probably it till, well, it won't be, I've got a few more to see, but it'll be one of those where watching it out of context of doing a serious rewatch really improved this and the action. And I always liked the final act, but just the whole chase, because with Waylon, I absolutely love Michelle Yeoh. She's an incredible actress and, Venom's not seen everything ever all at once from earlier this year. She's she's amazing in that. I always thought she was quite underused in the film, but watching it again on the big screen, I feel that she's better than I thought she was. Yeah. We could have got a bit more still, but actually, she's almost the perfect companion for Brosnan's Bond. Yeah, it's a bit like the Jinx. I'm not. I'm. Not, I'm Waylon's a better character, but she's sort of in it, drifts in it a little bit to start with, and then she's not in it for a bit, and then second half, she's well. As soon as we get to Saigon, she's in it. The whole time with Bond, yeah. isn't she? So that's quite unusual for a Bond. Yeah, and they've, they've got a great chemistry as well with one another. Yeah, and uh, and maybe not people are not sold on the romance, maybe, but there's a there's like flirty banter as people say, don't they? Yeah, they're sort of like just two professionals getting on with it, you know. And, yes. and I think yeah. Yeah. You, you mentioned Jinx because I don't mind dying every day compared to most, but that's where it's so overly. You two are just an icon of one-liners and sleeping together and the kind yeah, of yeah. spice of come second rows and this, that I think because there's tension in the plot and the story that really helps like push their relationship and why they're working together. And I think actually it's quite ingenious. The whole premise of, you know, Mija Mogul wants to cause world war three and it's the simplicity of like moving satellites, having them turn on each other. I think for a bond film, it's very, very, I don't want to say sophisticated, but as you said earlier, if, if people were mocking this at the time, because again, I was one when this came out, so I wouldn't have known. And it's not one people spoke. I think with, with Brosnan's era, everyone speaks about Goldeneye or everyone mocks Dying of a Day. You don't yeah, tend yeah. to really get the middle two. And I just no, think Tomorrow Never Dies is forgotten about, which is a shame because I thought it was incredible on the big screen. Yeah, and the sound, I think we said, the sound was so loud in ours and it just seemed far more like a cinematic experience. When you're watching at home, on it, because I think this Bond, above all maybe, is the ultimate Sunday afternoon. You just put it on, it's just mainly action. You don't, okay, you, you might not understand the plot as a kid, but you know there's a bad guy, a pantomime villain. You've got Stamp of the Henchman. You know what needs to be done. It's, it's just, 
it's so it's such great background viewing. So to have it at the cinema, certainly the action, definitely that motorbike stunt was way better. The, the, not just the stunt itself, but the chase was so much more visceral. But the humour, I thought it was like, particularly the first half, there was just like a laugh a minute. The, the audience were loving it, and the, it wasn't a massive audience where we were, but it was still really appreciating the gags throughout, I thought. Yeah, and even the one lines, I mean, it's sort of like Gordon I, you know, the Brosnan's pre-title sequence is, is full of one-liners, but it's actually a really good action set piece. I know that we've had Top Gun this year, which, which is extraordinary yes. what yeah. they're doing. And to see a, a film from 97, obviously we know it's not Brosnan flying the planes, we know it's not Top Gun. Yeah. But in the respect of like this shit, it stands up as a great pre-title sequence. I'm kind of saying this yeah. as well, that, listen, the stunt of the dam in Gordon I is one of the best Bond stunts ever. I would counter that bar the dam, and I hope, really hope this isn't sort of annoying people or turn off the podcast. No, no. Overall, the pre-title sequence in Tomorrow Never Was is probably more consistent and a better action set piece. Yes. But well, I would yeah. still say Goldeneye is a better one only because it's the story and the stunt. But that plays like a beautiful action set piece. And you've got all the great stuff of M, the Admiral as well, and I love their back and forth. From oh, them. yeah. It's a great way to set up Again, you know, they big up the return of Bond. We don't get to see him for the first few minutes. And when we do, it's a what Great. wonderful one-liner. Fil- filthy habit. What yeah. a fantastic one-liner. Well, again, that. I, I've always thought that that is the most brilliant thing to, way to introduce Bond. Because he, he doesn't need introducing now. It's his second film. But you're like, we know that some, she's got a man there. Emma's got a man there who's going to try and stop all this. And you know it's Bond. Of course it's Bond. But the fact that you don't really sit and you just see... Uh, Colin Salmon talking to somebody the whole time. Yeah. It's an unusual decision that you don't see Bond talking back. So then to see him with that, it's so Bond. And I know I know some of the Fleming purists might not like it because it was almost a dig at, in, certainly in the mid to late 90s, smoking was becoming a bit more, you know, a bit of a taboo. And it wasn't seen that Bond should be smoking. So that's why they did it. Brosnan's Bond doesn't smoke. And I think he's the only one who, well, not just Craig, maybe, maybe later. Does Craig have a cigar in No Time to yeah, Die? Cigar, a, a, would a cigar count? Oh, yeah, sorry. Yeah, cigar's fine, of course. Famous, no. <laughs> Down of the day, we get the cigar. Forget that. But it was sort of seen as a, you know, we don't want yeah. to see Bond smoking because it was at the time when the adverts came out with the government, you know, smoking kills, this kind of thing. So. The Fleming purists might not have liked it, but it works so well. That intro with him, yeah, and it and you know it, it turns up later on in the film as well. He does it again, doesn't he? Where he goes to yeah. get on the lighter, just punches him in the face, which is, yeah, that's is great. great. And, yeah, <laughs> so but, no, it is right there because you think with Bond, Bond is such a contextual series. Where you know when I was younger, I remember the smoking ban coming in because we go to like pubs as a kid. We have to sit in the family area where no one could smoke, and you kind yeah. of forget all that existed now. Whereas. You can understand why they might be might they might not want to put it in a film or two or just have yeah, him absolutely. smoke. Obviously, with Dalton smokes a lot, and he's got that like fantastic image of behind the scenes of, of him in character oh, smoking, which looks yeah, amazing. Definitely. And yeah, it is one of them where it's yeah, it's very contextual. The nineties, and again, the media moguls of going back to the villain. I kind of pose this to you: Is this the most like formulated Bond film of the Brosnan era? We, we all said this going in and coming out, and that's a compliment because yeah. you, unless you have a formulaic Bond film they're all outliers they're all like oh this one's the one with this this one's the revenge one this one's this one it's almost like Dalton we said Dalton could have done with one of these in the, between the Living Daylights and Licence to Kill Craig could have done one in between Casino Realm and Skyfall you know yeah yeah. yeah. because I, I mean I'm a quantum defender but if it just had another one after that that was just a by the numbers Bond film it would have made those films work better and it would have made well all of the them. last 
Yeah, because yeah, I think the, the jump, my biggest criticism of Craig Aaron, you know, it's not, it's more the financial MSM, which is always the issues that it seems, but there was yeah. that, there was that no 2010 film. And I think that when you jump yes. into Skyfall yeah. and it's like you're an aging man, I'm like, oh, yeah, he's, he's just done two films, like set one after each other. Yeah, and, yeah. and I think, <laughs> could you imagine how many more Bond films there'd have been if MGM didn't have financial issues like every other year? Well, and, yeah. you know, the 91 and 93 Daltons, the 20, well, 2000. T- 2010, Craig. 2010, Craig. Yeah, that's 2016, 17, something like that as well. Exactly, and and I, and it does make me think for this next era, without like jumping ahead to the future. Now they've got that financial backing of Amazon. They're not going to run out of cash soon, and I think when the time comes, they'll. Uh, well, but this is probably happening now. I'd imagine there's heavy conversations about financing Absolutely. release. They talk. It's been on the news this week that um, they've made a deal with Warner Brothers Amazon to distribute all MGM through them but it yep, won't apply to right. the next bond it'll be the bond after there's clearly things in the footwork and you know if there's a bit of if there's a would you take an extra year's gap for bond 26 if it means you're going to get like four and eight or ten years after i think most would and I, I, that's a great point i hadn't really thought about that because it, at the moment we're still sort of it's a divisive film and the ending yeah no time to die so very divisive fandom's a little bit split and a little bit thankfully the 60th anniversary i think has just made us appreciate what we've had and let's re- yeah. relove, relive the love of the other ones but you're right if if it takes another couple of years of course people would accept that if it means you've got well i know i know we like henry cavill but whoever it is if they sign a, a contract for like Mul- yeah multi-film contract multi-year, it's a bit, year, be amazing wouldn't it yeah and, and it's interesting because obviously marvel was the template for that and obviously marvel fatigues yeah. kicked in but when the actors would sign up it would be originally a four or five film deal obviously they don't do that anymore yeah, because it sort of backfired and it does make me excited because, as you said, the 60th anniversary, it's been amazing to sort of celebrate the franchise without having a Bond. Like, the 50th, we know we had Skyfall, so there was a film coming out. Yeah. 40th, Dine of a Day, there was a yeah. film coming out. But this is literally a celebration. We've got six James Bonds. We're going to have a new one soon. But in the meantime, enjoy. And obviously, in October, they've got the weekend of events. They've got the concert as well. And all the fandoms. There was, like, an event with, like, a, uh, a big event at Pima this weekend. I saw yeah, something on Twitter. Yeah, yeah. And it's really great to see a lot of people come together and you could argue even the pandemic, obviously it's not a great thing as a pandemic, but that delayed so many things to this year and last year that you've been able to take in that anniversary a little bit more, which I think is wonderful as a Bond fan. On terms of Someone Ever Dies, where did you have it in your rankings? I'm trying to remember now. And you, if you can remember the seconds, I'll let You know what? I don't think that many people gave it points and it's a shame because to me it probably to me it's probably the third the third highest brosnan film of mine i could argue yeah. it's better than tomorrow not tomorrow sorry i could argue it's better than the world is not enough however to me personally you know i've got that collection to world is not enough and i just think it's got a very not unfortunate release it, because it's between god because it's after gold and i it's like the one after the big one. I'm just I'm just loading up the top ten list. I'm sorry, so bear with me a couple of Oh your one, yeah. Someone put it there. I, that doesn't mean people don't like it. It just means because no, like, it's quite a normal Bond film, you wouldn't yeah. have it as your top maybe. I think when I did it in my own personal rankings, I'm pretty sure it was like twelfth or thirteenth for me. Well that's pretty um, good, isn't it? You know, that's great. So it, it came eighteenth on our one with three. Okay, points, well, that's that's probably about where I'd think most people would put it. Yeah, it's more just the logic of if it's not in the top 10, it didn't get a point. And if it sticks at sort of 12 for everyone, it's, you know, in that lull of it's going to sneak in. But I do think it's a film that's aged well. And as I said, like viewing it on the big screen as I've got older, I certainly appreciate it a lot more. And 
it's kind of quite not scary in its own right, but as you said, 99, we've got the oil stuff, obviously, what's been the last 20 years of building up to the Russia invasion is, you know, the oligarchies yeah. infiltrating London, etc., yeah. etc. Et and it's it's really interesting for the for the first set of films in, I guess you could say Barbara and Michael G. Wilson, sort of them in charge type era, we've had really interesting commentaries and, and observations about yeah. what's come. Obviously, we've not had any, you know, in, invisible cars yet or, or people that can Don't change their change their face ids for the, for the next one but it, it just makes interesting obviously even the krager itself is that's obviously a commentary of like modern filmmaking and it kind of makes me sound like what you know and, and i'll kind of pose this like if if there was a bond film like tomorrow never dies today they were making one stay mm. you just have someone based on elon musk wouldn't you like it's kind yeah, of yeah and it would it would work so well wouldn't it people would really buy into that yeah you, like you'd have have him as younger wouldn't you like you know and, but I know, I know they definitely. The, what's his name? Silver was partly based, wasn't he, on Julian Assange? Yeah. Not necessarily his personality, but his I, look. I think costume and the, the hair, yeah. the wispy long hair as well, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. They always but, do try and link that in. And I know with uh, Carver, it was Anthony Hopkins, wasn't he? I think he was originally meant to. And those two actors are very linked in their careers. Obviously, the two popes. Yeah. Both got nominated for the for the two popes there. And they're both Welsh. <laughs> both, she, uh, yeah, they're both absolute. Uh, I love them both dearly. I think he he would have been amazing because he he can do pantomime, Anthony. But but Jonathan Price, he's not. I think he's only latterly getting that sort of critical acclaim that he had maybe at the beginning of his career. He's not like a celebrity in a good way. He's an actual actor who you'll have seen in films and recognise his name maybe when you see yeah. it. But he's certainly not. He's not somebody now they might cast, I think. And I think it was really good casting back in the day. Yeah, he's a really fascinating one because, he's, as you said, he's like a trained theatrical stage actor. And I remember in Game of Thrones, he had this, not second yeah. wind, but I think that's when a lot of people started recognising him. And I always think of Pirates of the Caribbean, it's you know, Governor Swan. Yeah, and he's such a great character actor, but as like a tradi- traditional British actor. But his performance, I mean, he's so... <sighs> He's so over the top, and it's sort of wonderful in its own right. Because I wouldn't say he's based off Steve Jobs, but you've got the whole like the black turtle neck, the yes, doing the yes. doing the PowerPoint presentations. That's I love right, that. Yeah. I I love that idea of, of his character and his his obsession with writing tomorrow's headlines. I mean, again, like yeah. not to do an Elon Musk comparison, but you've got this like major mogul billionaire, and he's spending all this spare time like writing fake headlines for the next day. And I yeah. just love you know. There's some like great moments where the show stops when Bond pulls the plug and he just starts screaming at the host, like, you're fired, get out of my sight. Oh, yeah, yeah. So hard. <laughs> it's just, it's just, just so, sort of there, like, there's nothing wrong. He's just telling him he doesn't know yeah. what's happened and I just love him. I think, I think this performance is way ahead and if this came out today, this Bond film, modern filmmaking, take your Top Gun opening scene, yeah. take your IMAX cameras, get your motorbike chase with, with mm. Michelle Yeoh, she could still do it at her age now. I think you'd be looking at an all-time classic and I just think, for whatever reason, this just isn't one that's done it and it almost had the perfect bond theme instead it's the credits theme well that's another one of the big debates i mean i i say i'm glad we got two great bond songs in my view and i can understand people preferring surrender because it is more of a traditional bond song and you've got it in the score oh and we'll talk about david arnold as well but shell crow i think my only criticism of it mainly is her voice isn't quite up to a big power ballad voice but the actual strings arrangement and everything and the chords are very very bond and i don't think it gets quite enough credit for that but like i say i'm i'm glad they have both i know bond fans probably prefer surrender but i don't know i don't dislike cheryl crow song as much as most but there's something about 
I'm, I don't mind the Golden Gun, the Lulu one, but it's when oh. the most frustrating Bond themes are when you've got an incredible, uh, as you say, like orchestra behind it, the instruments, and the one I will never forget is the when Writing on the Wall came out. I don't know if you remember they did, they did like a ten second preview the day before, <laughs> and they play the opening orchestra. I was like, oh my god, like we've just had Skyfall, we've got like a traditional Bond orchestra. This song's gonna be great. <laughs> And then the next day I heard it and my ears bled and uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, not a fan of that song, but the backing of Somewhere Never Dies is great. And I just think it's just Sherlock's voice is maybe mismatched that you need a bit of a presence and yes, with K Lang, because Bond's so contextual, my music knowledge is terrible and I don't mind saying that. Was KD Lang a sort of I'm not a singer of the nineties, that sounds stupid, but you know they're very contextual. It's who's big at the moment. Yeah. Was K Lang one of them or was she more of an unknown, which is why it got put to the back. I think partly that must have been the reason because she wasn't, she, she's never been, you know, enormous, but she's always been, had a, an amazing group of fans who've loved her the whole way. And I think David Arnold was far more interested in, you know, he's not interested in, right, let's get a big name to sing the song I've written. He's like, no, no, we need someone who I'm connected to and who connects with the song. I presume that's why he chose her. And it is a shame, it is a shame, and I don't really know, I don't know how much she, she like loves this song, I don't know how many times she plays it live, but it's universally loved really, isn't it, by Bond fans. And it is, <laughs> Math was saying at the end of it, what a co it's a good job that they put the line in, surrender, because otherwise it would just be, yeah. tomorrow, like, what, what, we've got another song called Tomorrow Never Die, what's going on? It's like, uh, is it, what's it called, like, part B on, like, when you've got old vinyl records, like, flip it for the other Tomorrow Never Dies. Yeah, thing. yeah. It is interesting, and it kind of makes me think as well, like, you think about, like, Billie Eilish, when when the song came out, let alone it being announced, 2020, oh, she was God. obviously big, but... Yes. She wasn't at the level of fame she was at when it came out last year. Yes. And I've, I've got to kind of say, as a credit, not that anyone would have seen it coming, potentially, but they got someone in very young, you know, maybe deemed controversial at the time, but there would have been other Bond themes where they might have gotten a, a singer in by the time there was a two-year delay. They, yeah. Their sort of hits might be gone, and, and it's credit that it worked in that behalf, and that's going to age no time so well. But I just think, yeah, with Tomorrow Never Dies, like, looking back, it is... It is interesting because you had David Arnold in it and the the backing yeah. music to all of it's wonderful and you know I don't dislike the gold gold knife soundtrack as as most I understand all of yeah. the criticisms of it and I'm there with some of it and you know I would say I would love to have heard a David Arnold Golden Eye score I know that oh god I've forgotten his name um, one of the lads on YouTube has done like some of the Golden Eye edits with like different themes which looks really cool but it it makes Golden Eye stand out. But then because it stands out, whether for better or worse, when you get Dave Arnold coming in, it feels like, okay, now we have a successor that can do these scores. Yeah, and yeah. I just think his contribution to the series, let alone like the scores he did, you know, to Casino, he's done video games, he's he's doing the concert in October at the Albert Hall. It's essentially him from, from based off their statement. He's almost organising the evening. And you've just got to think of, of all the composers, and Hans is my favourite composer in the world. It, it's amazing that we've had this person that's so devoted to the franchise and I would yeah. love for him to come back and do another. I know so many people have said that and he's such a, an ambassador as well to James Bond. You always yeah, see him at yeah. events. And when we got seen live a couple of years ago, who's a Michael Giacchino, they were doing their own scores. against oh, yeah, each other course, person. Yeah. And he did, he did Casino Rao and he did like a, you know, my name tribute, which was amazing. So I just think his, his score is, is great. And it does mean if, if Goldeneye had a David Arnold theme, would it, be better oh, I, yeah. I don't know because Goldeneye is very like part of its charm to me is the weird 
Eric Serra soundtrack, and it yeah. it makes Goldeneye stand out by its own accord, which is really weird but fascinating. I agree, and I think part of the appeal of David Arnold is that obviously he co-writes the songs or offered songs, <laughs> but also you've got you know a load in a row, and particularly for these three Brosnans, that just it links them more. Yeah. And I, I always think that's great, and you know because when John Barry was doing many, it just you know what you're getting. And it, because he is so faithful to Barry, you'll have the sweeping score of the love theme, and the action, to be fair, is updated. And I know, I know, some people think it's a bit nineties now because there's a bit of drummer bass in there and everything. But it works well for the film and the the remote control car scene. The music's perfect for that, I think. No, it is, and it's you know, it's. Would you argue that's the big action scene for the film? I don't know, but the fact probably that, the most memorable, isn't it? I know, yeah, with a helicopter. And that's it, but just the, the concept of a remote... I mean, you've got things like 1997. Oh, here's a remote control car. I wonder if that will ever be a thing one day. And you could argue that that's not, not happened yet, but you can argue that's something that will eventually happen. I know you get like Tesla's where it's autopilot and weird stuff, but it is one of them where I could see Tomorrow Never Dies like being a long-term... Oh, look, in a few more years. Oh, look, they Bond did this. In the same way Goldfinger had the sat-nav in the 60s, I was look back and not laugh, but it's like, well, they were decades ahead, you know, when he's tracking something in his car. And to me, there's not really been anything like it since. Overall, someone ever dies. What what other things stood out for you? I, I think Q. I think Desmond Llewellyn's fantastic, certainly. Yeah, and if you think about it, it's kind of, obviously it's not his last Bond film, but we know the next one's passing the torch, and it's sort of it's almost like his farewell. But what I love of this scene is that, like in Goldeneye, Pierce Brosnan has this immaculate respect for Q and yes they're going either back and forth and without sounding rude it's, it is like a paternal uh, relationship at this point in time and I think you can tell that Brosnan's probably like very uh, what's the word probably uh, I don't want to say proud but he's probably like in awe at the fact he's doing a Bond film with Desmond Llewellyn and, and I think that's such a great thing and to get them there like again like in another country seeing Q in costume doing you know going through the insurance of Yes, it's very 90s, but it works in their favour. And I think it, you know, we get it again in the, the world is not enough. And we just get to see this like incredible career, you know, slowly easing out. But again, it's just great that Brosnan got the chance to, to do three films of him. And yeah, I think Q's great and Brosnan's great. I think it's really coming off the, the work that he did done with Timothy in that he is more of a father figure and it brings the humour out of Timothy. And Brosnan, he's just. He's loving it. You know, he knows he knows he's sort of winding up Q, yeah. but Q still, he, even though Q sort of having a go at him, he obviously respects Bond. And <laughs> he know, it's just so good how they bring it back in pristine condition. And yes, he does. He brings it back to the Avis <laughs> rent car, <laughs> smashed through the window. It's so good. Oh, and even that action scene, the car stuff, like when the RPG goes through the cracked windscreen, like it's the car behind, it's just it's just an, an amazing set piece. And yeah, it, it's built perfectly. And I think. Brosnan's relationship with Q to me is more like Connery's than any of the others that Q I mean Q obviously like dislikes Connery legitimately and this is like the mocking dislike of Bond but they just work so well with one another and again like the one-liners are there even the sat nav when Q's you know I've put a woman's voice in because you'll listen to it more and how Brosnan is with him and <laughs> it's very also Batman 89 like when the lock's on the car yeah, um, right. yeah trying to figure out how to break in and that's just a great set piece with the hotel room with the you know when the fact that he's the doctor's gonna kill him and he gets the phone call is like I'm so embarrassed it's just wonderful and, and the great thing is Brosnan's not there laughing off he is there like you've killed someone I care for 
and I'm going to absolutely have you and the rest of you. And even a stamper, a very weird henchman. I was never really keen on him in truth. He's just a weird one. I, he's funny, but weird. But his death is That's good. his death is just brutal. Like, foot locked in a... Oh, like, yeah. That's so painful. Yeah, and you, you actually see the explosion go off. It goes for the foot first. Like, that is a brutal way to go. But I love the fact, like, he was the protege of the Doctor. Like, it's so random, but it's so incredible at the same time when he's... Is that 54 yeah. hours I'm hoping to beat the record? Like, it's just... It shouldn't work, but it I does. I think he's underrated. Because when you've got a villain like Carver, who's obviously not a physical threat to Bond, yeah. you need the henchman. And because he's so big and badass, I think... It, and he's in, it, he's in it more than I remembered, actually. And he's in it throughout. He's in it pretty much from the start. And you know that there's going to be some big sort of fight with Bond. Yeah. And I, I do, I do love when the, the main bunny dies, but then you've got the henchman to do yes. it afterwards. I think that's a great... I love that trope. And yeah, he, he says, doesn't he, you know, like, he knows he's, they're both going to die. Yeah. You know, <laughs> when he's trapped there, the, he, he just wants to have the soul, the satisfaction before he dies that Bond's going to be killed and he's been looking for, well, I owe you an unpleasant <laughs> death. It's a great line. Yeah, no, that, that is a, that's a, that is a top tier Bond line that, again, not enough people speak about and, uh, yeah, and even yeah. like Carver's death, like Carver's death's probably one of the most. Yeah. Let me really think about it. That's probably one of the most savage deaths a villain's had in Bond. And again, yeah. no one speaks about it. And for a media mogul to you yeah. know get, I think you see when if anyone ever watches it again, when the drill goes at him and you get the camera behind it, I'm pretty sure you can just see like it's probably like a wig or just grey hair just pop up a bit. Oh, scary! And then like, I don't know if they had a mannequin, <laughs> maybe, or if it, or if it's just me, yeah. like. Maybe it just might have been a, a, an explosion that turned another colour, but I always just envisioned it as like that's meant to be like Carver's hair that just goes pops up. Yeah, because that I mean that body pretty would be brutal, everywhere. isn't it? Yeah, like Dario's death, isn't it? But obviously that's yeah. probably worse because you hear you, you see the blood and you know it, it's pretty gratuitous that. And I think because Carver's is so cowardice as well, like the the, the whining yeah. and the screaming, and again another great Brosnan one line is the uh, proper Northern Irish accent, give the people what they want. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> I just ah, oh, he's so outside of Connery, and this is a really tough question to put you on the spot. Has anyone ever been better than delivering the one-liners than Brosnan? Because I know I know Roger's obviously going to be there for a lot, but there's just something about Brosnan's one-liners where some people think it's like a criticism he does it too much. But it's, I don't know if it's his accent that makes it work or the films, but they're just they're so welcome. But none of them have ever fallen flat. All of them have worked. Yeah, so they, they work for what they are, and I know a lot of the down of the day. You know the script maybe lets him down, but he's still he's in on the gag, really. Yeah, and I think he he does as good as he can with the scripts he's given. No, no, I'm I'm with you on that. Right, it's been great to catch up on Tomorrow Never Dies, George. And you're going to be back, aren't you? Watching The World Is Not Enough. I'm worried I'm going to miss that. Oh, so I'm, I'm devastated. John will be watching it, surely. Well, I think he's on holiday. Oh. This is the worst time ever because he, that's he his, is a bit, well, his Lorenzo, that was... Lorenzo and John are the most. Yeah, The World Is Not Enough people world so lorenzo will be giving his thoughts but john yeah it's it's a shame for him because it's the bond film that probably means the most to him a bit like you i suppose yeah it's when when last year when behind the scenes when we were bringing you guys on after the first i think it was moonraker john was like please can i come on the world is enough and i was like yeah 100 and he was telling me loads at the time about it and for the the concert in october garbage are going to play live and i texted him i was like um oh, i was yeah. like oh garbage are at this the world's enough gonna be done live probably on stage and i think he said he can't make it which is a shame but that's gutting i hope he gets a chance to see it we'll give him special dispensation and give his thoughts uh, because he because he owes it doesn't he yeah and we've we've actually with that, certainly, we've you've had a big review as well on the channel for it in the past. 
Yeah, we've had. <laughs> we talked about it enough, but certainly seen it at the cinema again. I've not seen it since we did the review because I like to save them, and I'm. But now I, I won't see it, so I'll have to see it at home. That's but, a good yeah. Thing. And it, it's, it's it's a great era of Bond, and um, the Pierce Brosnan run is halfway through now. And we will speak to George next week, where he will chat about the world is not enough, but. Tomorrow Never Dies, it's a, it's a great fun action film and all hail the 90s and Pierce Brosnan. Yes. Um, Bedford reports that Carver went down with the ship. Seems that Bond made it. Manipene, take this release. Elliot Carver is missing, presumed drowned, while on a cruise aboard his luxury yacht in the South China Sea. At present, the local authorities believe the media mogul committed suicide. Bedford. Are you there? Mm, they're looking for us, James. Let's stay undercover. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. 
Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.